I was the guy laughing at my friend who was interested in crypto and it was going down all the time, you know? Do the wrong thing against price action because most people are wrong. I was very, very passionate about crypto and I quit my job. Welcome to Cointelegraph's Crypto Trading Secrets Podcast. This episode's guest is a crypto trader and analyst who goes by the name Phil B. Phil B. on Twitter. He has a respectable following on Twitter and also co-founded a crypto intelligence and tools provider called Decent Trader. All right, here's Phil B. Hey, Phil B. Thanks for jumping on an interview here. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I wanted to just start by asking about your Twitter name. How did you come up with the name Phil B. Phil B.? Oh, that's a good question. I think most people actually refer to it as Phil Phil. Oh, that's my experience. The reality of that actually is it was it was an AOL instant messenger name, uh, which is probably showing my age actually, which came around in the late 90s uh, and then went on to become a DJ name, which is rather cringeworthy these days as well. But yeah, that's where it comes from is uh, my first uh, avenue on the internet. It just felt right to continue to do it because it was random and no one else used it. So that's why I continued with it. <laughs> that's funny. So. The show typically has three segments. The first one is called Finding the Bottom. I'd just like to ask guests what they think about Bitcoin's price and where it might be in the bear market. Bitcoin's price has moved up a bit in January, moving from within the $16,000 range to the $23,000 range. So from a macro longer term view, what's your opinion on Bitcoin's price looking at the last few months and the months ahead? Good question. I guess that's one everyone wants to know the answer to. My personal view of it is um, there's always been a few things that has been very similar with each of the previous uh, cycles, which uh, are proving to currently be true. The main few things, you know, uh, I don't like to look at too many things because sometimes it cloudies the water somewhat. But the three main things that I found as being really important for Bitcoin is that um, we have followed the previous two cycles. So I look at the cycles as being obviously, maybe not obvious to some, but the Bitcoin halvings, like I always look at that as being the starting point. Because, you know, that is the ethos of Bitcoin, you know, like it, it uh, has this diminishing output of inflation um, in terms of emission of new Bitcoins. And what we've typically seen in previous cycles is that about a thousand days after the halving, um, we we end up breaking out of the um, the bear market or what was previously, you know, we, we'll have seen the the, the big run up and we'll have seen the big drawdown. Uh, and about a thousand days after the cycle, after the cycle starts, we start to see us move towards the new cycle, which to me is um, defined by the new halving. And we've seen that Bitcoin is behaving almost to the day as it has done previously. Um, and so in terms of time, uh, which is important with behaviors of an asset, particularly when we have inputs such as, you know, reduction of uh, inflation uh, is important. And so in terms of time, uh, we are where we should be. Uh, and the, the price, as you say, is now 23,000. Uh, we've seen lows of, you know, let's call it um, 16,000, uh, slightly lower than that. But uh, we have seen the markets uh, respond to those lows in terms of time. 
So the bear market itself has, has you know, played out in terms of time and the way we would expect it to based upon the, the previous cycles. Basically looking at how the miners are reacting, you know, have they been put under pressure in such a way which has led to price gravitating towards the cost of production and, and how are those miners behaving as a result? And we have seen some capitulation. So I believe that we are closer to a bottom in terms of a fundamental cost of production basis. And also, you know, we have uh, the MVRVZ score or with or without the Z score is not necessarily important, but looking at the differential between the cost at which the people who own Bitcoin uh, accumulated those Bitcoin on the blockchain and what price it was and the current price. Um, and we've seen that deviation put investors under a lot of pressure to such an extent, which causes capitulation. Uh, and we, we have also seen that. And these are the things which last cycle uh, told us that we should be where we need to be. You know, we've seen capitulation can happen two different ways, like either through time or price or both. And these three things I just mentioned there, I believe show us to have seen a form of capitulation through both time and price. I will actually add another one, which is normally that we see a drawdown um, of around 85% having gone parabolic. Uh, we didn't actually see that this time. We haven't gone quite as low as 85%. We've seen slightly less than that. However, we've seen close to that. So in terms of where we are, I would say that we're exactly in line through time and price with where we should be with regards to looking towards to price potentially appreciating in the new cycle. So do you think Bitcoin has bottomed already? That is obviously the million dollar question. <laughs> and my answer to that is... With a big caveat, um, which I know some people may not like, but macroeconomics at the at the moment is is influencing Bitcoin um, greater than ever before, which in some ways is a good thing. Uh, it means it's more important now. You know, more people look at it, and with a, with a bigger market cap comes that influence. And and do I think Bitcoin's bottomed? I would say that all of the metrics that I've just mentioned would lead me to believe that yes, it has bottomed. However. We live in a different world um, to what most of the people listening will have ever really seen before, which is we live in a time of um, potentially instable macroeconomic and also geopolitical instability. You know, th these things with which are going on in the Ukraine are, are very much unknown as to what the outcome of that's going to be. So, you know, for example, today and yesterday, we've heard about the US, the UK and Germany are sending tanks to the Ukraine. And we know that we have an issue with regards to supply, um, which has created inflation. We can talk about that more potentially, but that outcome remains to be unknown. And it's like the wild card, right? What I would say is, is the bottom in, I'd say if we continue to, to live in this relatively stable environment, absolutely. If you believe in the Bitcoin cycles and what's going to happen with Bitcoin and the S-curve that we're supposed to be on with regards to adoption, I believe the bottom is in, yes. However, we need to understand that the macroeconomic situation is bigger now and more important for Bitcoin because we have a bigger market cap, which means you need bigger amounts of money to move um, the the dial on the Bitcoin price. And and you need bigger players to come in and do that. And, and while they, they have 
issues with regards to liquidity themselves, which might be a derivative of, you know, um, interest and exchange rates. Um, that's going to make that a more challenging task in future and more important for Bitcoin. In the short term, though, in terms of the answer, do I think the bottom's in? Assuming nothing escalates, then yes, I do believe the bottom is in, yeah. So if I heard you correctly, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, did you say that you think the the world outside of crypto is impacting Bitcoin um, more than it ever has before? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, Bitcoin uh, needs to attract bigger amounts of money to, to move the needle on the market cap. And as such, you know, that requires new financing to come in. And the cost of that financing is, is an important thing. And as we currently stand, the cost of financing is, you know, it's still going up, but it's probably, according to estimates, going to be going up at a a slower rate. So a lot of it is currently priced in. But if we see that change, then, you know, it, it goes against what the market expects. Or if we see a big curveball come in where escalation occurs in the Ukraine, um, then yeah, things would change again. So I know you hit on it a little bit, but do you want to just dive in a little bit deeper on you think Bitcoin has probably bottomed if nothing changes, but what might change your opinions if you want to dive into that just a little bit more? Supply side economics has become a thing that really we're not that familiar with. Like we live in a globalized world and we have been able to easily move around any of the world's supply to towards where resources are demanded to be used in production. Um, and that has changed, particularly with the, the conflict. Overall, if that changes, I, you know, we're unable to produce the inputs required for the supply of the nations that demand those products. If that's not able to happen easily, we're going to see prices increase and things continue to get worse. However, um, if we can resolve some of those issues, which, you know, Europe's tried to do a lot of that with incre increasing their LNG um, supplies and finding third parties to do that. Um, if we can continue to do that sort of thing and find alternatives, then uh, we may be able to stabilize production um, and make sure that uh, the economy is able to continue to do things. Now, why is this important for crypto? Um, well, firstly, obviously, like excess cash or like spare cash or investable cash requires um, a favorable interest rate. You know, people are willing to take more risks if the risk free rate reduces. Overall, you know, crypto also requires um, new money to come in from retail. Um, we know where the apex of risk, if you like, um, and we need the new money to come in. And if we have a shrinking economy, and people have less money uh, disposable, um, they are not going to be able to speculate on things such as crypto. So like the retail investors are sort of like a microcosm nail end of what the bigger corporations do when it comes down to investing. So the worse it is and the, the tighter things get for retail, um, just on household income and so on, um, the worse that will be in, in terms of creating a euphoric bubble for Bitcoin to go up. You know, it's the two things are very much linked. What do you think about future possible Bitcoin bear markets? Will the bull and bear cycles continue? <laughs> I think that's a good question. Uh, I think there will always be bull and bear markets. You know, every market continues to have bull and bear markets uh, for, for whatever reason. And the biggest thing driving 
Bitcoin is is speculation uh, to, to a large extent. And I do think that we are still a speculative industry. I do think that there's a good chance that um, we will have another another very uh, strong bull market um, with crypto. Each cycle brings in more people, more understanding, uh, more acceptance of what it is that's trying to be achieved, uh, questioning around the ethos of why it exists and so on. And so I I do believe we have gas in the tank to do another cycle. Uh, What is quite evident is that as market cap increases, the likelihood of going higher becomes more difficult, right? So the difficulty increases to get a bigger market cap to attract that capital and also, you know, change the world, if you like. Um, And I I do think that we probably have one last, and I I did post this on Twitter, one last, you know, notable bull market in crypto where your gains may be to the tune of, you know, maybe not quite 10x, but getting up towards that order um, from where we are or where we have been. So let's say we've been at 15K or 16K bottom, like, could we do a 10x again? I do think that's possible. But are we going to do a 20 or a 30x? Probably not. Um, I think if you just look at the Bitcoin chart and you stand back and look at it on a logarithmic basis, it's obvious that it's a ta- there's a tapering effect, you know, like the highs are getting lower. You know, they're still new highs, but they, they are not expanding on a logarithmic basis, which is what you would expect within um, the adoption of crypto. So, so yeah, I do think there are still notable gains to be made in an industry which is clearly has its faults, is growing, um, and has those growing pains with it. But but does that mean that it's, it's you know, going to do a... A 30x from here, probably not. I think it seems unlikely. So moving into the next segment, which is called Trade Secrets, basically just tell me about your background or as much as you're comfortable talking about. What did you want to do when you were little? I was quite fortunate when I was young. I went to a school that really um, championed economics. And that economics idea was you're going to probably be an investment banker or you're going to own a business. You know, that was the outcome of the class. Um, When I talk about school, I'm talking about high school, you know, like sort of 15, 16 level. So it was always ingrained into me that I wanted to achieve something with the markets. Didn't know what I was doing at the time, but also business was quite important to me as well. You know, got a strong family background in business. So I was always interested in doing both of those things, um, which is ultimately where I ended up. But uh, in the meantime, there was a game at school. Well, it was actually sponsored by Merrill Lynch and they did a trading game. And I took part in that, I think when I was like 16 or something. And me and my friend won that. Um, It was a trading game where you had to pick some stocks. And then if those stocks went up, you won or you did not um and we we nationally won that so that was a an interesting first delve into investing and what you might get if you decide to make the right choices so there was that um and then obviously i went off to do economics at university not obvious but that is obviously what i decided to do in the end and yeah that was you know got really boring you know frankly it's interesting because the lower level stuff's actually more interesting you know it's more relatable but as soon as things start getting into like the delves of the equations and all that sort of stuff like it actually gets a little bit tedious 
would I say? Um, so I was a bit unsure what to do when I left university. Actually decided to that I wanted to be more on the business side of things. So I went and worked for a big blue chip uh, American corp and started to understand more about like how does a you know big company operate in terms of the way that they structure themselves and to make the benefit of tax structures. And then also how do they actually just make that marginal gain, you know, every month um, and be really operationally efficient. So that grounding took me down the, I actually went down the accounting route. So I went and became a chartered accountant um, and really found that quite useful in just understanding how businesses operate with, you know, look, being able to look at a balance sheet and really work out actually is this company able to do what they're saying they're going to do and able to achieve what they're going to what they're saying they're going to but there was a bit of a crossroads for me which is when um i left that organization and went to a mining company which is the same time i also got involved in crypto or took more of an interest in crypto i mean my crypto experience at that point was kind of laughing at my friend you know i was the guy laughing at my friend who was interested in crypto and it was going down all the time you know i was the guy (laughs) it did get to a point where you know your friend keeps talking to you about this thing and you should probably pay attention to them if they're really passionate with it and um i i really got involved in understanding the macro side of crypto which really enticed me and made me want to give it a little bit more attention Um, and that was quite fortunate because it came at the time when i was actually working at this commodity trading firm Um, so it was a miner and also commodity trader Um, so at the time i was involved in risk management and looking at you know um, hedging commodities both fx side and also the actual commodity stuff so there was a really good um, coming together of of things for me which was was the knowledge and of the mining side of things in an actual physical world and how you actually trade with crypto which was also a mining based thing um is it a commodity i don't know like that's open for debate but um all of that stuff came together all at the right time and i was like okay i'm really interested in this now and actually uh, and and then yeah I, I started getting involved in crypto 2015 2016 and then, yeah, I ended up, um, I did pursue my other career in finance for some time and achieved what really what I wanted to do t- to such an extent where I'm satisfied that, you know, if I wanted to go back into the inverted commas real world, I could happily go back to a board level. Um, but while I remain in crypto, that, that that's really where my passion was. And I, I feel as though it's important uh, for you to be successful, um, for you to to want to work in something you're passionate about and and at that time in particular i was very very passionate about crypto and and so eventually i I quit my job and uh, went full-time trading crypto and um and yeah trying to provide information to people involved in crypto uh, in such a way which is useful and understandable which is where i think back in 2016 2017 was not very well done so i was able to put both of those two things together um, and provide some hopefully useful input to the the uh, community. Interesting. So how would you describe your trading strategy? Trading strategy is like an evolutionary thing for everyone. Um, when I first got into crypto, it was very much more um, about trying to manage my position all the time. 
basically I'm all in kind of situation. Um, you know, I was a bit younger back then and had less capital um, and it was all my own. Um, and at that point in time, it was, you know, very much around trying to understand whether I'm in or not on a daily basis. I didn't understand the cycles. I didn't understand, you know, what what I would expect to be occurring uh, in the future. It was It was very much a learning curve situation. And back then, you know, it was very much about today is a new day. I'm going to have to make a decision today. Uh, what am I doing? Fast forward uh, to 2023, which several, you know, it's getting towards a decade now uh, later. And I have decided that really what I want to do is split up my uh, capital um, where I take cyclical decisions, which are around positional trading, i.e., you know whether you call it trading or investing is up to you but you know i'll take a i'll take a view over what's going to happen over a medium term let's say i'll split up my money um if i have 100 i'll split 80 up uh into that longer term view and and with that that 80% about half of it i'll i'll manage a long route when the market's over overly exhausted so of the 80% of the 100% 50%, we're going to 40%. So 40% of the money, I'll be looking to, you know, try and actively manage that position to where the market overheats or we get to obvious places of uh, exhaustion. I'm likely to, you know, manage that through hedging or or, or just simply uh, realizing gains. The 20% is very much active trading. You know, that number over the years, like, from where I was at before at the start of this uh, question, that would have been closer to 100%. Um, that's now 20%, and many different reasons for that. But the 20% is active trading, you know, so a day to day basis, if I decide that I think the market's going to go up, I will actively uh, trade on that basis. Whereas the, the other 80% is more cyclical to swing trading and the other 20 is like actively doing what i need to do did you mention at all like what you look for as like kind of what gets you into and out of a trade like what what makes a trade interesting to you in terms of what is interesting to me is understanding firstly volume flow you know um you know order flow some people call order flow um volume flow is what i probably call it trying to understand where there are points in the market it's just obvious that there is demand um and a good example would be so prior to the ftx collapse there was somebody just buying bitcoin between 18 or anything basically below 18500 it was just getting bored up, yeah. Um, and when you've got something like a moving average coming down, like a really important one, like the 50-day, and the every time the price goes below a certain point, you know, and there's there's clearly a flaw on the chart. You know, there's a there is a buyer below us, and we have sellers above us, and the seller is the seller line or the natural sellers in the market is is declining, um, as is was the nature of the 50-day moving average back then. When that happens, you know there is eventually going to be an expansion above the 50-day moving average because the sellers are going to run out of capability. They're going to have to realign their position and ultimately will be forced long sooner or later just to exit their position. So when I see a natural point of demand and supply becoming different, uh, that's something that interests me. And, you know, FTX, um, when, when we saw that sell-off, um, following that, 
we saw exactly the same thing happen, the same move on average, but it was 16,500 this time instead of 18.5. And again, a good example is the FTX sell-off. The sell-off that we had for the magnitude of the collapse when FTX was so small that it told us that we've probably seen most of the people who are going to exit the, par- the, the party already having exited. Um, you know, the bigger the news and the smaller the drop, that sort of tells you that there is a fundamental shift in what's going on. Um, and I like to look for those sorts of things and, and, and try and take advantage of them like that. And when they're combined specifically with the things I just talked, like the 1,000-day halving cycle, the power multiple, the MVRVZ score, the drawdown um, from the previous cycle, um, when you put all that together, if you're a buyer, you can say, well, maybe the smart maybe i'm the smart money here maybe that's my role is to try and just identify some slightly smarter people <laughs> in the market and then ride their boat with them um and that's kind of how i like to think about it is you know try and identify when the smart money's coming in and then go with those guys you know do you want to just touch on technical analysis a little bit more maybe what you look for on the charts i know you touched on it a little bit um when it comes out of ta yeah um it's Again, it comes down to volume, you know, when, when you're finding buyers, order flow is quite important, you know, like finding out whether or not people are fundamentally buying the market, you know, is the market moving uh, around with a lot more market buyers than sellers, you know, how is that working out? And then, yeah, you know, I, I love to look for things like double bottoms, you know, particularly at the bottom of uh, things like falling wedges, which we've just been within, like my favorite thing to find is a double bottom within a, a descending um, wedge, uh, which is what we've just broken out of. Um, so I'll always be looking for those sorts of things. I've got I've built several tools over the years, which bear in mind those sorts of things, um, particularly volume. Obviously, moving averages are important as well. Um, so I use the tools that we have at Decent Trader to to try and find the bottoms. Uh, but also what's also really important to me is trying to look at where the market's pushing against price. So, for example, if price is going up um, and we find that, the, that most of the market is going in the opposite direction, um, what, what, what we tend to find is that price continues up because most people are wrong. Um, and those guys are eventually going to be liquidated. And, and is that the def- is that why we move up there? Maybe, you know, uh, but I don't actually really care about that. It's just the fact that it's happening. And so as such, you know, things like funding rates are really important. And looking at the relationship uh, between funding rates, long-short ratios, price, you know, are we seeing the market do the wrong thing against price action. And when, when you see that, it's going to continue um, and it increases the probability of having these kind of micro blow-off events, which which we have and, and do see repeating. Let's head into the last segment here, which is called the next bull run. Basically, how will you know if Bitcoin moves into a bull market? I know, again, you touched on the bottoming aspect of it. What are you looking for that might give you confidence that it may have switched into a bull market? I don't know if this is my old uh, corporate sort of uh, philosophy coming to things, but like I like to think of things like a, a red, amber, green or rag sort of approach. You know, how many of these key metrics that I look at have turned to green or to near green? You know, I have a scorecard and if if things are getting closer to green, then 
we're getting closer to being in a bull market. But fundamentally, you know, so far we've actually seen Bitcoin behave exactly as we would expect um, for it to be. And the first step is to break the 50-day moving average, and we've done that. Uh, the second step is to break the 20-week moving average and for it to be supported. So we have done the first part of that part, but we haven't seen it supported yet. I would like to see the 20-week moving average supported by Bitcoin. That's been very important in Bitcoin's past. And so I'd like to see that um, maintained. Uh, but fundamentally, you know, even for the most um, passive investor uh, in the space, the 100-week moving average is normally the line in the sand where you need to be above it. Um, and that's still a long, long way above where we are now. That's still up at 36K. Getting there is going to be tricky. You know, it's above previous support, which is likely to be resistance at the moment. So I'd suggest that that's going to take a little bit of time. You know, we, we might see that in quarter two. By that point, the 100-week moving average will have come down probably to about 30K or something like that. And so getting above there and maintaining above there would be a really, really strong sign. Um, you know, for the most passive investor, I think that's probably, let's assume they did really well, right? And they got out above 60 or 50K or something like that. That's probably where they need to be paying attention. I think you may have touched on this a little bit, but what do you think might happen after Bitcoin has moved into a bull market? I know you referenced Bitcoin may have bottomed already. Going forward, do we move into a sideways period or how does it play out from here, do you think? I think that's a good question again. Um, so we we sort of have to assume that uh, the macro situation is going to kind of, you know, taper off and think the world's going to start to look like a more friendly place again. If that happens and we do break out from where we are now, there's still going to be about 18 months from where we are of sideways, give or take. When I say sideways, I mean like not moving to new all-time highs. So the new bull market would probably break out in similar fashion to what we've seen previously, which is where it's you know a, a strong breakout above all-time highs. Um, and it's going to be a grinding, challenging event um, to get to that for most holders. And as I say, you know, 18 months from where we currently are today um, would probably be the time that sort of thing would start to happen. So, so yeah, I think I think it's probably going to look not hugely dissimilar to what we've seen before. You know, like we'll probably challenge the all-time highs um, and probably get rejected. We'll probably challenge other meaningful highs and and lows, such as about forty-five thousand, and that'll probably be rejected. Um, and then you know along the way there's going to be big shakeouts it's going to be tricky to get above um everything above 30k it's going to be it's an unknown but what we do know is there is a lot of people who are holding um relatively large positions probably at spot at this point um from around that range and they're probably just going to be thankful to get out and then work it out get out and work it out if you like and so, yeah, it's it's going to be working through the 30 to 60K range will be tricky. So it's not going to be straight up. It's going to be hopefully quite easy to navigate on a technical point of view. But uh, yeah, I think uh, at the moment, the thing I'm focused on is that 100 week moving average is way above where we are. 
Um, we currently do have quite a lot of liquidity between where we are now and about 27k. So I think there's a reasonable shout, and I posted this on Twitter, that the lows are likely to be around 15 and the highs in the next six months are likely to be topping out around 27k like that's my framework of expectation however you need to be able to change that as as we get new information so currently that's my view i'm looking at the cycle i'm looking at macro and and all of these things suggest that that's probable you know a holding period where hopefully the economy doesn't implode um, we can continue to, you know, uh, rebuild some sort of faith in the industry, which has been massively damaged uh, as a result of the FTX and Luna collapse. I think that about wraps it up. Thank you so much, Philby, for coming on the show and all your uh, interesting insights. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, it's good to talk to you again. So uh, hopefully we'll do it again in the future. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to Crypto Trading Secrets presented by Cointelegraph. We'll catch you next time.